Good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, that was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> wasn't in the notes. I just thought I'd try it. Yeah. My name's Lon Allison. For those of you that have just started coming to our church or came at Christmas, I'm one of the teaching pastors, and this is my first chance to say hello to you and welcome you to this great church. Really, really happy that you're here today. Okay, um, I want to start by talking to you about what I call an indelible moment. Watch the way I even resonate that, that, those vowels. An indelible moment. Something that happened to me on December 12th, 2015. Saturday morning. It was Saturday morning. And I came to our church because I'd been given the privilege of speaking at a men's Bible study. Well, here's the first thing that was an indelible impact to me. Over 100 guys were here at 7 o'clock on Saturday morning holding their Bibles, can't wait to get God's truth. Whoa. I see it also on Thursday mornings. I, I taught in our huddle this week. 200 men at 6.15 in the morning. They're not even walking yet at that point. <laughs> We're not, because I'm one of them. Bible in hell came to hear about God. You know, it blows my mind. But this was a Saturday, 100 guys. Then when they'd finished the teaching time with me, they all broke up into small groups because they've learned that life is messy and it's best not to try to do it alone. So they hang out with each other and they take the truth and, and the truth starts to move from the word through their lives as they talk about it together in small groups. Wow, that was really cool. I, I left, because that was over there. Then I went over to the East Worship Center on December 12th and I went inside because I forgot what was happening. And there was a bunch of children in there and a bunch of adults and they were just doing the final rehearsal for the Christmas pageant. And I know you've all seen these when kids portray uh, Mary and Joseph in the, in the, and you know you got a doll for the baby Jesus. Sometimes you use a real infant. That's not smart. Uh, <laughs> they tend to get dropped. Uh, but the point was the way it was written, even the rehearsal, as I was watching it, it's like I was drawn to God and I knew within an hour or two that hundreds upon hundreds of people were coming to see children tell the greatest story ever known. Wow, that really moved me. I kept walking down the hallway. I went a little farther into our fellowship hall over here. Scores of round tables with all these materials for building gingerbread houses and literally billions upon billions of gummy bears that were going to adorn them. And I, I've been in that event when it happens and it's hundreds of families, one, two, three, four generations coming together to sit together to celebrate God and Christmas and find even meanings about building the house of God. Wow. That was great. Then I ran back upstairs into our office suite, which is back here. And there's a big sign on the door. And the sign said, Administer Justice. I don't know if you know about Administer Justice, but about once a month, our office suite is filled with lawyers and paralegals who work with scores and hundreds of people who are in desperate need for, for legal help that they can't afford. 
And so these are Christian lawyers and paralegals that give away their time, give away their training, give away their skill set to help people. And I start thinking to myself, if this is the church, no wonder God intended that she would change the world. Because it's happening right here. Well, I wasn't done yet. I got into my car and I headed down to another church because I learned something. We're not the only church in the world. Huh. And our dear brothers and sisters at Community Fellowship right down the road were hosting what we call the Christmas store. And our church and their church and two other churches get together and you donated toys at Christmas. Remember this? Then 200 families who can't afford a lot but can afford a little, come in and they buy all those toys at about 10% of what they cost. So they get dignity out of that, actually giving gifts to their kids. And we had 100 volunteers there, and the other churches did too. And not only do the families pick out the toys from the store, but then volunteers wrap those toys for them. And while the toys are being wrapped, all of the precious moms and dads that came in with just a little bit of money to get some precious presents for their kids sit down and they have donuts and coffee and, and hot chocolate with our people, and we just love on them. And on December 12, 22 people who sat at tables with donuts and hot chocolate made decisions for Jesus Christ sitting in that room. I thought, yeah, isn't that great? And I thought that was one Saturday morning in about a two-hour period of time. And I thought, if this is God's church in action, whoa, which is a holy Greek word, whoa. Can you do it with me? One, two, three. Whoa. No, no, no. Your whole diaphragm has to get into it. Okay. One, two, three. Whoa. Yeah. That's exactly what happens. Last week, Pastor Rob did an incredible job of talking to us about the era when the Holy Spirit comes, called Pentecost. And remember, he talked about wind and, and fire and sound, and that it, all of those were, were God displaying in nature, in physicalness, what he was doing on the inside as God takes up a residence in people who love God and follow Jesus. They get filled with God. It shouldn't surprise us that God not only fills individuals with God, but he fills a community with God. That's the next thing that happens in the book of Acts. It goes from individuals into this vast community that becomes an army that changes the world. So that's what I get to do with you today, is talk about the church as filled with the Spirit. Unstoppable. Please open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, I start reading in verse 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, and we've got the page number up there for those of you that would like to use the Bibles on the seat backs. Verse 41. Those who accepted his message... This is the end of Peter's message, you might remember from last week. Those who accepted the message were all baptized. And about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. 3,000 people. Listen, everybody. Jesus preached and walked and talked and healed for three years, and he had a church of 120. 
within an hour after the Holy Spirit descends, 50, 50 days after Jesus is resurrected, within an hour, and Peter preaches and the Spirit falls, 3,000 come. This is what Jesus always said would happen. It's better that I go away because when I go away, the spirit will come and using the Greek, whoa. Now, they're a church of 3,000 on the first day. That's about the size of our church. On any given Sunday, we're between three and 4,000, okay? So this is also really applicable for us as we think about ourselves here in the year 2016, okay? Here we go. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and the signs that were being performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There it is, the first days of the first church. This is the church on steroids called the Holy Spirit and things begin to burst. I'm gonna take this passage apart now for us and I think there are five key themes that come out of this. I call it five themes of the church unstoppable. Number one, the church had theological depth. You'll see that. They devote themselves to the teaching of the word of God. Number two, intimate fellowship. Not casual, what was your name? Not casual, hey buddy, intimate deep life to life, face to face, eyeball to eyeball fellowship. Number three, awe-inspired worship and prayer. Awe-inspired worship and prayer. Now notice the word I have above those three, intake, intake. As I look at these five dimensions, it appears to me that the first three are all intake. In other words, it's God coming to us through all the graces of his church. And that naturally results then in outflow. And number four is the first of the outflows, compassionate social action. They started making a difference wherever they were. And five, contagious witness. They just couldn't keep their mouths shut about God. All right, can we go at this now? All right, number one, theological depth, theological depth. Note that it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. I mean, that's what I saw on that Saturday morning, and that's what I saw on, see on Thursday mornings, that early, to bring your Bible, hold it, and, and, and our women's groups do the same thing. Hundreds and hundreds of you open your, your Bible to try to get at what God's got to say. It's realizing that God has given us truth in his word and there's nothing like it. And, and, and it's addictive. How many of you have seen Star Wars? All right, good. How many of you have seen it twice? Three times? Four? 
My, my son-in-law was on four two weeks ago. I don't know where he's at now. It's, it's kind of like a cult. Uh, I love it. I was at the first showing of the return of the Jedi back in the 1980s. Yes, I am cool. All right. But it's a devotion that, that borders on obsession, right? They were devoted on the border of obsession to hear what God had to say about life. Devoted to the apostles' teaching. Uh, even when it says that they were the breaking of the bread. In the breaking of the bread, they were rehearsing probably daily what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Because that's what the breaking of the bread is. His death and resurrection. You say, well, they didn't have the New Testament yet. What did they teach? The Bible tells us, Jesus spoke, when I go away, the Spirit will bring into your remembrance all the things I have said to you. They had the corpus of the words of Jesus. Secondly, they had the work of Jesus. Every day, in every way, they talked about the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ and what that means for the world. And finally, they started fulfilling the whole Old Testament understanding. Peter does it in his very first speech that Rob went through last week. Peter takes Joel and Psalm 16 and brought meaning out of it that no one in the Old Testament era could have ever gotten. It's because the Holy Spirit is bringing together the corpus of God's truth. Now, notice I talk about theological truth, not philosophical truth. Philosophy is the study of knowledge. But philosophy, apart from God, is darkness. As I said on Thursday morning to the men, I'd read this. Philosophy is like a blind man in a dark room looking for a black cat that isn't even there. <laughs> That's pretty good. Should I do it again? Okay, all right. Philosophy apart from God, the study of knowledge apart from God's knowledge is like a blind man in a dark room looking for a black cat that isn't really there. <laughs> Theology is like a person's eyes wide open in a bright room where God himself is giving them the truth about him and the truth about life. No wonder they were devoted to the teaching of God's truth. That's number one. To the point of obsession. Okay, let's move on. What's the next thing that they got involved in? Look at this. Number two, intimate fellowship. First of all, it says in the text, look, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Then look down with me in verse 44. All the believers were together. All of them were together. That means this fellowship, this intimacy thing that developed wasn't just for the few. All 3,000 were immediately tied into deeper, thicker communion with one another. The word fellowship 
is probably best decide, de, uh, defined in our culture as community. Common unity. Common unity. And, and it goes on to say that every day, verse 46, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And look at this. They broke bread in one another's homes. And they ate together. Already we start to see, if you will, the design of the early church. And the design of the early church would be massive, but it found a way to stay intimate. And it had something to do with always being together, eating together, and being in smaller groups. House to house. You saw that? House to house. Um, I need to say this. If, if you're considering... Uh, Jesus Christ for your life. I need to tell you, it's not an individualistic religion. If, if you sign up with God, you've signed up for me too. If you signed up with God, you've signed up with Stacy too, and, and Dave and Dee. Uh, you've signed up to be a part of a community. And the best way that that community really does the work of loving God is when they're together. We call it small groups, breaking bread, house to house. A small group of five, six, ten people is a safe place. In the book of Hebrews, I give you the reference, we won't take time to look at. But the, the, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 says, don't give up meeting together because it's when you meet together that you stir up love and you stir up good works in one another and you can encourage one another. I mean, I'm always encouraged being with you in the big mass, but boy, there's nothing like Tuesday mornings when I'm sitting with that group of five or six guys over breakfast and we're doing life together and we put the truth of scripture into motion and we look in one another's eyes and, 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 and we hear what God is saying and, and Scott will say, man, this really has meaning to me today. And I say, what's it, what's it doing in you? And he says, it's doing this. How do I pray for you this week about that, Scott? We encourage one another. We hold each other in, in, in accountability. We're tying deeply into life. Rob likes to call this thick community where we get thick with one another. I encourage you to it. You don't sign up with God and not sign up and get me thrown in as well and you and you and you and you and you. Um, we have all sorts of ways of that in our church. We really believe in intimate fellowship through small groups. We really, really believe in it. For those of you that aren't just looking for a church but looking for God, you want to come to Alpha this Thursday night. You can sign up you know, on the website. But when you come to Alpha, you'll get a talk, but you're going to get a small group, and it's fellow people just like you trying to figure out the God thing. If you're working on your marriage, and I hope we all are, whether your marriage is a two or a nine, it can get better. Well, then you want to come on Monday nights, and you want to come especially tomorrow night because you get to hear everything about Lon and Marie and how hard marriage was for the first 4,000 years of their marriage. <laughs> but then you're going to break into small groups. Because there's nothing like couples working together to make a marriage better, right? 
okay? Or, or just small groups in general, like what I do on Tuesday mornings or Thursday mornings or what the ladies do on Tuesday night and Wednesday morning. It's small groups, small groups, small groups. If you haven't done that yet, please do it. You're missing a big part of God by not being with a small group of others. In fact, today, Phil was up here, you know, the tall guy. Uh, Phil is a marvelous pastor. And we asked him six months ago to stop doing what he was doing, leading our youth ministries. And we said, Phil, will you give full attention to help getting people into intimate fellowship? And he's doing that. In fact, he'll be in the lobby afterwards. Uh, You see, isn't that a cool slide? Yeah. That sofa is meant to be filled with people sitting together, doing life together. Phil's out there. You can sign up today. There's computers. You can get information. Just register right now, and we're on it. We'll help you get in small groups very, very fast because there's nothing quite like doing life in Jesus together. Okay, so number one, theological depth. Number two, intimate fellowship. Number three, what's that? It's the wheel of fortune. Okay. Okay, it goes around and it stops. And it says, awe inspired worship and prayer worth $10 billion. All right. That's what it says. Every day they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And you think, well, was that just done in small groups? Nope. Look at verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day was Sunday. That could be a song. Every day is Sunday. (laughs) Don't come every day. Uh, We don't want to teach you every day Uh, (laughs) in big group. Uh, They did. In fact, I I really did some research this because it says in the temple courts and then a little later on in the book of Acts there are two inclusions of a precise place where they did this everyday teaching and it would be in the early mornings and it's called the, the, the portico of Solomon. We even know from the ancient texts the size of this room which was at the top of the, of the Temple Mount wall on the east side. They could see the sun coming up every day as they met. And in Solomon's portico, because of the size of it, they could hold approximately 566 people. Unless a few were obese, and so then it's going to drop. Okay. But the point was the size of this room, and again, they crowded in there every day. They couldn't wait to be together and worship and sing and pray and sit under God's word. They were drawn to it. It's, it's like adding more sticks to a fire. The flame just goes. That's part of the reason you probably come on a Sunday. Life is really hard out there. You get beat up seven days a week. It's kind of nice to be able to come together and grab an hour, hour and a half and be with a thousand people or so that believe what you believe or are starting to believe and you just hope it's all right because you desperately need hope. Corporate worship, gathering together in the large group is awe-inspiring. Already happened to me this morning in this service. Brian, that song... Uh, I forget the words. What were those words there? Every day, 
Every, <laughs> he says, every day is Sunday, yeah. <laughs> Which is an adaptation of that song. Open up the heavens, and then what was the next part? Yeah, open up the heavens, we wanna see you. The first couple times I, I was thinking about my sermon, I go, open up the heavens, when do I speak now? Open. <laughs> but then as, as the guys kept doing it, as the guys and the ladies kept doing it, open up the heavens, I wanna see you. And my whole soul started rising to that with you. Lord, open up the heavens, I wanna see you more today than I did yesterday. I need you, God, we need you. And Okay, it's a Greek word, and it hits us in music. It hits us in prayer. In the book of Acts, it says in, in chapter four, at one point, they were praying together. It isn't just singing, it's praying. And when they were praying together, it says an earthquake shook the room. Dude, that would be cool. Where the ground starts shaking because God's people are in unanimity calling out to him. Whether you're in a prayer group of five or 5,000, music, prayer, teaching, whoa, pretty cool. I, I got this, I found this this week. There is a backhanded compliment toward the new church of Jesus Christ that comes to us from Roman historians. Pliny, Governor Pliny, was the governor of Pontus and Bithynia in the years 111 to 113. That's 2 Corinthians, 1... <laughs> okay. 111 to 113. So that's when he's governor of Bithynia and he's writing to Emperor Trajan of Rome. And listen to what he says here. He's trying to help the emperor of Rome understand Christians because they're, they're, they're happening everywhere. He goes, they, they meet on a fixed day before dawn and then they sing responsibly to a hymn, open up the heavens, we want to see you. you know? But when they sing it, they're singing it to Christ, who they see as a God. And then they bind themselves by oaths to not commit crime, to not commit fraud, to not commit thievery, to not commit adultery, to not falsify their trusts, to, to always get into trust when someone needs them. And then after they sing, and after they make their vows of commitments, then every day they depart and go eat together. This is a Roman governor saying, that's, that's what they do. It's kind of weird. But then he says later in the very same letter, I write these things to you, Trajan, my emperor, because as you know, the contagion of this superstition has spread not only to the cities, but even the villages and farms. This Christianity thing is scary, he is saying. It's spreading everywhere. Wow. When we gather together in big group, something happens that doesn't happen when we're alone. Awe-inspired worship and prayer. I've got to end on this, but I, 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 I need to, uh, I, yeah, I, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. 
Uh, I saw this happen about a month ago. I was visiting a massive sanctuary in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And it was called Lambeau Field. <laughs> and there were 70,000 people worshiping. And they were worshiping what was happening on the field, at least for the most part. Occasionally there were groans, but those were probably signs of longing. Most of all, they were cheering on the Green Bay Packers. They were so into it that they all even wore the same colors, a rather putrid green and yellow. <laughs> and, and some of them put cheese on their heads. <laughs> they were celebrating the spirits everywhere. And what was the point? The point is, when you have something you worship and you do it together, it's like inspiration you've never known. Now, some of you are saying, I'm leaving. Lon is a Packers fan. <laughs> Here's my answer. You can't leave. You will forgive me because Jesus says you must. <laughs> when we're all together, God becomes more real than when we're alone. Okay? One, theological depth. Two, intimate fellowship. Three, awe-inspired worship and prayer, even to make the building shake. Okay? Now, when that happens, then it leaks out into what I call massive generosity or outflow. And the fourth thing that takes place in the early church and can take place in us today is compassionate social action. Look with me. In verse 45, the end of 44 says, everything they had, they had in common. They sold property and possessions, and they gave it to anyone who had need. Now, turn over to, to chapter 4, and you see this elaborated on. Look in chapter 4, starting in verse 32. 432. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God's grace, verse the end of uh, 33, was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. They literally became overtly, magnificently, maximus generous because they knew that anyone who is blessed with more than they need has been given more than they need to give to those who don't have enough. That's always been God's way. Jesus Christ, though he was rich, what, everybody? Became poor. That through his poverty, we could become rich. He becomes poor in the sense of sacrificing his own life so that we could become rich. It's always been God's plan that those with more have been given more so that they help those who don't have enough. And man, this was going on like crazy. Now you say, well, were they living in the streets then? Because it says they sold houses and stuff and, 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 and farms. No. We know that they met house to house, so they still had houses. But it meant those that were investing in real estate, REITs in today's investment literature, they were, they were giving it away. 
They were selling it, giving the money. Why? Because the church, unstoppable, could do with it what they couldn't do alone. And we have that going on in our church. Yeah. Uh, one of our neighbors gave our church a backhanded compliment. This is a woman who doesn't even go to church and, or hardly ever. And she said to Marie one day, she says, Oh, Marie, the community is aware of your church. Uh, we know what's going on there because we live in West Chicago and we see how the grades of our children in school are going up because of your tutoring. We see the food that is provided. We see you helping refugees to resettle. We see administer justice. We're becoming famous for being good to our community. I like that. I like it when the mayor of a town says, you know that church up there on that hill? If I were to call them, they could provide 200 volunteers to me in a moment's notice for anything we need in our town. Now, I need to say this. We're, most of you know that we're so excited about being the church that we're going to disperse it and start more campuses throughout our county. We have to do this. And last week, part of the, the search team looking for the right location, the right school or building to rent, they went up to Streamwood. I didn't know much about Streamwood. But Streamwood's an area that has a lot of social need. And so when they were meeting with the building manager and told them who we were and that we would want to start a church in their auditorium that would meet on Sunday mornings, and then we told them what else we do. The building manager started crying. And he, he said to the team, he said, please come to Streamwood. We need you. That's the church unstoppable. I don't know if we're going there or not. Please pray. I'll talk more about what we're doing in new sites next week because the text leans to it. But will you pray for us this week as we determine whether Streamwood is the place God's calling us to first? How do you say a no to a building manager who weeps in front of you and says, please come here? Hmm. Cool. Compassionate social action. And then finally, <laughs> and if you know me at all, you know Lon wishes he could do the whole message just on number five. But I do have 60 seconds left. So uh, <laughs> look at it. Contagious witness. I chose the word contagious because that's what the early church had. It, in our passage in chapter two, it ends with 47. It says, and the Lord added to their numbers daily... <laughs> Daily, those who are being saved. They are 3,000 at this point. We don't know exactly how the progression went, but it looks to me like within two or three months, they were 10,000. I mean, this is God giving his church spirit steroids. And one of the compelling aspects of them is they couldn't keep their mouth shut. Everywhere they went, they had to talk about Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, you see it. Verse 20, the apostles say to the Roman military, they were telling them to shut up, and the apostle says, ask for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. Stay in that chapter with me. Go down to verse 29. 
They have a prayer meeting. Sue, they have a prayer meeting. Verse 29. Sue leads one of our great prayer meetings here. And it says in verse 29, now Lord, consider the threats against us. And then they pray, Sue, that they'd all be enabled to speak the word of God with boldness. I like that. And then look at 31, when the earthquake falls at the end of the prayer meeting. It says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. The story of the life, death, and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins was on the tip of their tongues all the time. They couldn't stay quiet about it. It culminates when we look at chapter 5, verse 42, and I've got that on the screen for you. Look at it. Day after day, in the temple courts, from house to house, they just never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what Church Unstoppable does. Theological depth and study to the point of obsession. Deep, intimate, small group-like fellowship. Large gatherings in all the elements of worship and prayer so that inspiration flows into the people. And then as full as they were, they just had to give it out compassionate social action and on the tips of their tongues always the why Jesus Christ God's son died resurrected from the dead for the forgiveness of sins you can know him now and you can too pray with me our father Thank you for helping me this week. It's so excited about the church unstoppable. And thank you for showing us what you gave them as far as organizational design to get it done. Oh Jesus, speak to each believer's heart who is here. Which of these five are you calling them to in deeper ways? What are you saying to me? Most of all, Lord, thank you that you said you would build your church and that even the gates of hell would not stop it from smashing them down. Thank you, Lord. Amen.